When Martha was 13, she needed a dress for the semi-formal. So she went shopping with her mom. Dear diary, I saw some dresses. I tried them on. I thought they'd be big in the tits, but they weren't. (laughs) Mom says, my price limit is $100. I say, f*** you, mom. That's Martha reading about her semi-formal shopping trip with her mom. And this, well, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is a live open mic event where brave adults get up on stage to share diaries, poetry, creative writing assignments, and all sorts of weird and wonderful childhood and teenage writing. This time, recorded live at the Garrison in Toronto, we have teenage makeout fantasies, financial advice from a nine-year-old, and we find out what it's like to be friend-dumped. Twice. This stuff is funny and awkward and sometimes a little bittersweet, but looking back at who we used to be can help us figure out who we are today. So think about the stuff you wrote when you were a kid, and stick around. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Our first reader, Jason, described himself as a pretty dramatic gay teen. And he chronicled those pretty dramatic years in his journal. Here's Jason on stage in Toronto. Hi, guys. Uh, So this first entry was a personal journal, and I wrote it when I was 12 years old in um, 1985. I have just been deeply insulted. You see... I got a new hair dryer tonight, and it's very, very powerful. <laughs> Anyways, I also got my hair cut, and I didn't like the way it looked when I got walked out of the barber, so I messed it up a little, and it looked fine. I got home, and I wanted to try out my new hair dryer, so I washed my hair and dried it with the new dryer, and I thought it looked kind of neat. I got downstairs, and Rick, that's my brother-in-law, and Rick laughed his head off. I started to walk into the family room, and just before I turned on the television, I heard Rick whisper to my mother that I looked gay. It hurt me very much. He's my own brother-in-law. A few minutes later. I just went downstairs. I am feeling fine now. I'm not crying anymore. Anyway, I would give anything to find out what girl likes me. I think that I am a pretty good-looking guy. I hope I am rich and good-looking when I grow up. Taking the bus is so boring. Tiring, insensible, dull. There is no pizzazz in taking it anymore. Of course not. The buses are crowded, they're hot, and the bus drivers are unpleasant and bitter. My mother does not like me taking home ec, but I think that it is kind of fun. (laughs) Cooking, cleaning, sewing is really neat. Anyways, hasn't she ever heard of Guy's Liberation? So, 
I also wrote a series of lists of things that I loved when I was a kid. So here's a list that I wrote on October 28th of 1986. I was 14 years old. I love dancing in the rain. Revenge. Yeah. The song Two of Hearts by Stacey Q. Dancing down High Street, kicking my shoes off. The smell of polo cologne. Black patent leather shoes. Bracket BPLS, of course. Writing the letter E. Rodeo Drive. Dr. Pepper. Balloons and the moving ramp in Woolco at square one. Thank you very much. When our next reader, Nicola, was 13, she babysat. And because babysitting can be pretty dull work, Nicola spent a lot of her time reading. Specifically, she spent a lot of time reading romance novels. And as you'll hear, that romance novel style made its way into her own writing. Here's Nicola with a diary entry she wrote when she was 13. Dear Diary, 11 days ago on Valentine's Day, I got up my courage and I told Neil how I feel about him. Oh, it was a very friendly and funny conversation. I found out that he liked me last year. I've wasted so much time. Oh, I think back to all those marvelous days at Dieppe Park while sharing cherry coke, which I learned to like only because he does. And all this time I've wasted when I could have been having a ball, all those times when we readily kissed in the closet during Spin the Bottle. Oh, but this is fantastic. I've imagined how it will be when we next kiss. And if it happens again during Spin the Bottle, we'll go into the closet and I'll say, would you like to oblige me? Oh, we'll gaze into each other's eyes. And as we begin our deep, passionate kiss, we wrap our arms around each other and block out the rest of existence and non-existence. We only know and care about each other and our sweet, tender moment. The closet heats up like a furnace. From all the rage, adoration, devotion, zeal, passion, ecstasy, lust, burning desires restlessly coursing through our bodies. As all the yearning in our appetites for each other bubbles within us and we, with a great explosion, short circuit. By now, all of our emotions have spilled out and completely engulfed us, shattering every doubt we ever possessed with a force strong enough to flatten the universe into nothingness. Sweat pours out of our bodies and we surrender to our love possession in utter exhaustion. And when our final seconds in the closet are up... We each dash to a bathroom to clean up, and after... (laughs) And after I sit down across from him with my icy cherry Coke, 
more refreshed and alive, yet weak with glory than ever. He winks knowingly, and I blush under his stare as the others say, let's quit this boring game, each of us quenched of our inner thirsts. We await our next moment of privacy. Thank you. <laughs> Don't ever read my diary. Growing up means figuring things out, figuring out how the world works, figuring out what's important to you, figuring out who you are. And I think part of why that can be so difficult is that often instead of looking inwards at ourselves, we look outwards at others. We look to the people around us for acceptance, for validation. I remember being in junior high school and wanting so bad to be liked, to be cool. And to be very clear, I was not cool. Now, when I look back now, I'm not proud of how much I cared about what other people thought of me, but I did care. And I wasn't the only one. When Joanna was in grade eight, she was a super nerdy, Star Trek-loving, fashion-challenged, straight-A student. Now, a quick heads up, the diary entries you're about to hear, they include not exactly cuss words, but mean girl words that hurt people's feelings. Okay, here's Joanna reading from the diary she kept when she was 13, or as she calls it, the worst year of my life. So that year I got friend dumped twice because I was a serious threat to anyone's popularity. So I'm going to let my diary tell you all about it. January 26, 1993. I have the feeling that Anita and Emmeline are trying to ditch me. They hardly talk to me or call me or anything. They even snub me, bitches. <laughs> I got a good haircut to my shoulders a bit longer. I now use gel. <laughs> January 28th. Now it's official. Anita and Emmeline do not like me. They snub me because I talk too much about school and I'm bossy. Other people around school are starting to like me. They love my hair. <laughs> I'm calling Anita tomorrow to ask what's up. I'll fill you in later. Later. Anita says she'll talk it over with Christina and Emmeline tomorrow. Until then, we'll see. January 31st. Anita's promise to talk it over was as empty as her head. <laughs> we never talked. And we probably never will. They're bitches anyway. People hate them. They have no right to treat me or anyone like dirt. February 2nd, a poem. I've lost my best friends, and I don't even know why. Every day, I just want to cry, in brackets, or die. Didn't know what was the better rhyme. But my emotions are kept within an awful fault that will do me in. Too much work, not one best friend. I'm really at my wit's end. Everything I wanted, grades and friends galore, have no special meaning to me. They are no more. <laughs> so then, then after February, I found a new friend group, and by April, that was falling apart. So April 30th, <laughs> I have just turned 14. Today, Mel and Julie were bugging me. It's a long story. Here it is. 
On Tuesday, Michelle and I went to the mall to pick out some birthday clothes for me. I saw a sleeveless shirt and said it was slutty. On Thursday, Mel and Julie ganged up on me and said I called them sluts because of what I said about a shirt which they happened to like. They've been bugging me whenever they get a chance and this was no exception. So I got mad and told Melanie to bug off and called Julie a pathetic fighter. The next day, today, they saw me at my locker and began saying, why did you call us sluts? So Terry came up and asked me what they were talking about. I briefly told him. Ignore them, he said. She called us sluts, said Mel. So you are, retorted Terry. They stormed off. At lunch, I ate with Cheryl and Samit. I avoided Michelle, knowing she was mad at me. Tonight, Val phoned me. Then I talked with Michelle. She was mad at me. She was saying that I said she and Chris were plotting against Mel and Julie. Julie asked her to ditch me. She's deciding tomorrow night. She said how I caused fights in the group and Mel and Julie think I'm deliberately trying to break everyone up. How unfair. What if Michelle doesn't pick me? What if she decides to only be friends with them? I've been ditched once already. I'm not going through it again. I want to die. I took Brew, my dog, for a walk and kept hoping a psycho would stab me or a drunk driver would run me over. A few weeks after that, May 31st. Oh, well. I'm not hanging out with them anymore, but in all caps, who cares? 12 days of school, not counting weekends. Julie is a bitch. Mel is a bitch. Val is a screwed bitch. Michelle is a too nice bitch. The end. Looking back over those entries, they sound really angry. I call a lot of people bitches. But there was a lot of sadness and fear uh, under that that I didn't record. The anger was easier. Besides being friend-dumped twice that year, I was also being badly bullied by other kids pretty frequently. Uh, when I was reading the entries, the anger in them, I found kind of funny. So when I decided to read those portions, I thought I would get a lot of laughs because here's this angry 13, 14-year-old calling everybody bitches for being mean to her. But as I was reading it, I really started to feel uh, how horrible and isolating that was. I remember just being terrified to go to school and be seen with no friends, to be completely alone in that atmosphere. I felt that everyone would be looking at me and everybody would know there was something wrong with me and that I was just not uh, not somebody who deserved uh, friends. So it was, it was definitely, definitely a hard time. That's why I called it the worst year of my life. If I could go back in time and talk to myself as a 13, 14 year old in that horrible uh, high school year, I would try to tell myself that having no friends is actually better than having bad friends. There will be people who will like you for who you are. You just need to wait a little bit because in high school, everyone is very insecure. So you'll, you'll find your band of misfits and nerds and you'll have a lot of fun with them. That's all.
Our next reader, Cheryl, was an awkward 11-year-old. I had a magical crystal collection. I had a headgear. I had a lazy eye. Um, and I and I had a mucus problem. So none of this, however, got in the way of her writing. So at 11 years old, Cheryl wrote a self-help book, which was divided into a number of chapters on topics like reincarnation, decision making, fitness, and feelings. <laughs> I have a saying: to feel is to get. I think it's true, because if you feel it, you can get it. Just remember this. A feeling can be a thought. If you feel something, you can tell other people about it in your mind. Some pretty solid advice from an 11-year-old. But here's the thing. Four years after Cheryl wrote that self-help book... She revisited it and added a brand new chapter on boyfriends and husbands. And as you'll hear, this is not so much advice as it is a story about her boyfriend at that time. This is me, Cheryl, the advice woman herself, four years later in 1995. Now I'm going to write about something I never knew about then or even cared about. I found that special someone, my significant other, my lifelong companion... His name is Corey. We met in grade eight. He was going out with my best friend at that time, so that's how I got to know him better. After he broke up with her, I caught his wandering male eye. And so the story begins. He charmed me for three and a half months, during which he asked me out around four times. I said no every time, only to avoid hurting my friend. Once summer began, I realized that letting him drift from me would be the biggest mistake of my life. I asked him out on June 29th, 1994. One day I realized that I was in love with him, in love! A new joyous feeling shined through me. It was kind of like a welcome slash through the heart. (laughs) This relationship had turned into a marriage. On Valentine's Day, he gave me beautiful flowers and I gave him boxers. He whispered sweet nothings in my ear, and I said nothing too. (laughs) The end. There are certain topics that kids are uniquely suited to give advice on. For instance... I recently got a ton of unsolicited advice about Pokemon from a five-year-old. But there are also parts of life where kids think they're in a good position to offer advice, but aren't. And I would include Cheryl's advice about boyfriends and husbands in that category, and I would also include our next reader's advice on personal finance. When Eleanor was nine, she wrote a book all about how to make money. And in it, she outlines a number of get-rich-quick schemes, complete with step-by-step instructions. Step one. Required for the below is a baby, preferably of your family. Get a baby and torture it for six weeks. Then demand salary for babysitting. Simple. 
Step five, collect all the money you can for Jump Rope for Heart. <laughs> collect all the cash and keep it. <laughs> then donate all the checks to the school. If they ask why don't you have that many pledges, just answer the people in my neighborhood aren't very nice. Repeat this process every year. Go to Young and Bloor and bring along a barrel of apples. <laughs> Dance and sing and sell the apples for $1 each. If your customers ask, why are the apples so expensive? Just answer in a cute voice, they're for charity, sir slash ma'am. <laughs> Keep on selling until the apples are all gone. Thank you. <laughs> I want to be very, very clear. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids does not endorse any of Eleanor's schemes to make money. I am no lawyer, but most of her suggestions sound like crimes. Our next reader, Mark, brought along a short story he wrote when he was nine. Now, this is actually a fable, and the way you can tell is that it has all of the key fable ingredients. It is short, it features a mythical creature, and there's a moral. And what's really nice about Mark's fable is that you don't really have to search too deeply to find the moral. He kind of hits you right over the head with it. Here's Mark. The tree with the golden apples. Once upon a time, there was a tree with golden apples. It lived in a village. The villagers there took one golden apple a day from the tree and they made a wish. After they made a wish and took the golden apple off the tree, another apple would appear in the exact same spot. Seems legit. <laughs> but one day, the villagers got selfish and kept on picking the golden apples. Then the golden apples stopped growing. <laughs> so they waited a few days for them to grow back. And since then, they weren't selfish at all. <laughs> the end. The moral of the story, of course, is that it's okay to be selfish so long as you're patient. The act of writing can be a powerful thing at any age, but it's especially so for kids. It's a way to explore ideas and yourself, and writing can help us work through our fears and our anxieties, even if we don't realize that's what we're doing at the time. Our next reader, Shannon, brought along a short story she wrote when she was seven. It's called Dog Love, What Will Happen? And what I love about Shannon's story is that, on one hand, it's a really cute piece of kid writing. But on the other hand, if you listen very, very closely, you can hear her working out some really deep stuff. Here's Shannon, live on stage in Toronto. <laughs> Once upon a time, 
in an exciting land where problems happen and dreams come true. <laughs> Just like fairy tales, lived two Sheltie dogs named Alice and Oliver. Alice had brown eyes and Oliver was cute. They always admired each other, but there was a problem. Alice was ill. She had loveitis. <laughs> Alice had a little crush on Oliver, and Oliver had a little crush on Allison. Alice, I changed her name. <laughs> they tried to give Alice a gift. They gave her a bone. They even tried to give her a house, but it didn't work. What would they do? Soon Alice would die of hunger. They felt very sad. One day, Mr. Ovella was walking Alice in the dog park. Mr. Ovella was ill. Alice got ill because the fever from Mr. Ovella vibrated to the dog's leash. And then to Alice. So they took Alice to the vet. They said, we can't do anything, but here's a bottle of milk and fruit punch. In the next five weeks, Alice died. Oliver and Alice were going to be married, and Alice was all dressed up, and she fell and died. <laughs> Oliver was getting ready for her funeral, and he grew very upset, <laughs> understandably. <laughs> Time went past, and every day Oliver went to Alice's grave, and he gave her gifts too, and Alice in heaven gave gifts to Oliver, like a bone when it rained. One day, Oliver met a very nice girl. And every day, Oliver went to her house and her name was Diane. But Oliver still went to Alice's grave. Oliver and Diane got married and had three puppies and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> the end. <laughs> and um, I just want to read my author's notes really quickly. Um, Shannon Hamilton is seven years old. She has blonde hair and green eyes. She lives in Oakville, Ontario, Canada. She has two sisters named Chelsea and Claire. She has a cat named Merlot. <laughs> Shannon lives with her mother and father. They split up. <laughs> Shannon's mother is 35 years old. Her father is 39 years old. That's a four-year difference. <laughs> she has four aunts, Mary Kim, Diane, Lee, and Leslie. She has five uncles, Peter, Brooke, Norman, Doug, and Peter. She has eight cousins, Grant, Michelle, Megan, Spencer, Taylor, Will, Jesse, and Devin. She has one grandfather, Billy. Her other grandfather died of cancer. She has two grandmothers, Grammy and Boo. And Shannon would like to dedicate this book to her Aunt Diane, her Uncle Peter, and her cousin Will. She hopes they like it. <laughs> The story turns pretty dark pretty fast. On a dime. <laughs> What's going on there? So my parents had just split up. I feel like that's how like separation like hit my family. Maybe it just like happened quick. But then at the end, you will note that Oliver ends up with um, Diane. I think her name is pretty quick. And like he, he, everything turns out pretty okay for him. So. You know, I think, I think I've, maybe I was trying to gloss over the sadness um, and get to the good part at the end. 
That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Garrison in Toronto. Our music is by Poddington Bear. If you want to find out when we are coming to your town for a live show, sign up for our email newsletter. You can do that at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Or even easier, just look at your device. Right now, we've put links to our upcoming shows, our mailing list, and all our social media stuff in the show notes to this episode. So you should be able to see them in whatever podcast app you are using. Speaking of, if you're listening to this in iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app, please leave us a rating or a review. They really help new people find the show. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.